Welcome to the Siskiyou Christian Fellowship Podcast. Our prayer is that the following verse-by-verse teaching of God's Word would bring you closer to Jesus. You know, it feels like everything's falling apart. Man, that just, if it can go wrong, it's gone wrong. And you look around and you kind of survey your life and it just feels like a smoldering pile of ash. And we can be tempted to say, Lord, what's going on? Where are you? Uh, Why have you forsaken me? Well, Psalm 74 deals with just that as we're going to dive into that psalm. Really, it's a a psalm where the psalmist is kind of just reeling and wondering, Lord, where are you? Why am I going through this? Why aren't you delivering me from this this situation? Pardon me. Psalm 75 is a psalm that deals with the redemption and the praise that God's people have for him once he has delivered them. Now, I love this because these psalms, they really do go together. Uh, We've all been in that place where it feels like life is falling apart. We've had those questions, Lord, where are you? But the truth of the matter is the Lord is always right there. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And as followers of God, of, of followers of Jesus... The Lord will deliver us at some point, someday, for sure, guaranteed, if not in this life, in the one to come. And we can put our trust and our hope in that. And so I love the way these two psalms go together. And so Psalm 74 is where we're going to start tonight. And Psalm 74 uh, was uh, kind of written in the wake of the Babylonians uh, really conquering, destroying Jerusalem and leading Israel captive in uh, 586 B.C. Uh, You see, God's people had turned their backs on the Lord over and over and over again, pursuing false idols, pursuing false gods. Uh, They had ignored repeated warnings and discipline from the Lord over and over. For hundreds of years, they had just really abandoned The Lord, they were set on rebelling against God. They were set on doing their own thing, being stubborn. And they really left God with only one recourse. You see, after Israel, the the nation was delivered from Egypt way, way back at the very beginning of their nation's history. After they were delivered from the Egyptian army via the Red Sea, after they spent 40 years in the wilderness where God supernaturally took care of every single one of their needs, after they crossed over the Jordan River on dry land, after they took possession of the land flowing with milk and honey, they came into the promised land. One of the first things they did when they got there was they kind of re-upped their commitment to the Lord. They said, you know, we're going to restore this covenant to the Lord. We're going to remember what it is the Lord said he was going to do here in this land. Remember, they, they, they got into the promised land, and there was battles for them to fight. There was enemies for them to face. And the first real enemy they, they faced was Jericho, that fortified city. And they marched around, and they marched around, and they marched around. At the end, they yelled on the seventh time, and, and the walls came tumbling down. They thought, yes, this is great. God's with us. We're conquering our enemies. Everything is going the way that we want it to go. But remember, there was a situation there in Jericho. Achan took some of the the spoils. He took some of the booty. He wasn't supposed to, and he hid it in his tent. And after Jericho came Ai. Boy, Jericho was like taken down, you know, I don't know, New York City or Los Angeles. It was a big place. 
AI was like going to war against Montague or something. It's like, man, if we can take down Jericho, AI is no problem. But you guys remember what happened because they had disobeyed the Lord. They got whooped in AI. And that caused them to go back to the drawing board. They discovered the sin. And it was then that they said, all right, hold on. If we're going to march forward in this thing, we are going to do so trusting the Lord. And that's when they kind of reinstituted the covenant. or They recognized the covenant. And there, in Joshua 8, they did exactly what Moses told them to do in Deuteronomy 27. Moses told them, when you get into the promised land, I want you guys to do something. I want you to write out the law again on the tablets that you could review these things, that they would be in front of you. He told them to divide up the congregation into two, half up against Mount Ebal. And the, the curses were read. If you walk in disobedience, this is going to happen. And then half went up against Mount Gerizim. And the blessings were read. So if you walk in disobedience to the Lord, if you choose to do your own thing, if you choose to rebel and serve the gods of this land, then the rain will stop falling. Then the crops will stop growing. The livestock will die. The enemies will come in and overtake you. And if you refuse to repent and turn to me, as a last-ditch sort of punishment you'll be removed from the land. And you know what everybody said? Amen, amen, hear ye, hear ye. Yes, it sounds good to us. If we disobey the Lord, then let it be so. And they read out the, the blessings. Boy, if you walk in obedience, then the rain will fall and the crops will flourish and the animals will bear more little baby animals and everything will be fantastic and the enemies will come and you will be able to defeat them. And everybody said, yay, hear ye, hear ye, let it be so. But it wasn't so. And it didn't take them very long to get away from God's covenant. Within Joshua's lifetime, at the end of Joshua's life, remember at the end of the book of Joshua, Joshua said, man, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Why did he make that statement? Because everybody else was flailing. Everybody else was doing their own thing. And that was the beginning of the season of the judges that was defined with the statement that everybody did what was right in their own eyes. It didn't take long for them to just do their own thing. And remember the time of the judges? They just kind of went round and round. They would be doing good for a while, and then temptation would come, and they would fall away from the Lord, and the Lord would bring enemies in to bring chastisement, to bring correction. And then they would wake up, and they would do good. And then they would be tempted, and they went round and round and round for hundreds of years until the time of the kings. And then the first king, Saul, well, he was a dud. He, he didn't really follow the Lord. David was a, a good king. Solomon, his son, turned away from the Lord. And then Rehoboam, Solomon's son, boy, that's when the, the, the nation of Israel split into two kingdoms because Rehoboam was stubborn and Jeroboam was equally stubborn. So then you have the, the kingdoms of the north, known as Israel, the ten tribes, and the, the kingdom of the south, made up of two tribes called Judah. And they continued on this idolatrous path. Again, we talked about this. Uh, of all of the kings of both kingdoms, 39 kings, four or so were good kings. The rest led the people into idolatry. And so it came to the point to where finally the Lord, he brought in uh, punishment. Hundreds and hundreds of years. Warning upon warning upon warning. And first, the northern ten tribes, they got taken into captivity by the Assyrians. The Assyrians marched in brutal people. Brutal warriors, and they led the nation of 
or not the nation, but the kingdom of, of Israel, the northern ten tribes, away into captivity. You think that would be a warning to the southern two tribes, but it, it wasn't. They kept on in their idolatry, and the Lord is so patient. The Lord is so patient. He desires for us to repent. He desires for us to turn to him. But at the end of the day, God is a good father. He's a good dad. And a good father brings discipline because he cares more about the security of their children's future than they do about their children's present comfort. And the Lord said, ah, this is what's going to be best for you guys. And so Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, they came in and they absolutely destroyed the temple and Jerusalem and the, the remainder of God's people were led into captivity. It was a bad day. They were reeling. And, and now they're, they're in this place. They don't even know what hit them. They've been so desensitized and they've taken the Lord for granted for so long. They're, they're just... What on earth is going on? And so that really is the background, the backdrop to Psalm 74. And even as Hebrews 12 tells us, and discipline, it, no one enjoys discipline in the moment, right? Nobody would raise their, who likes discipline from their earthly father? Nobody. Who likes discipline from their heavenly father? No, thank you. If I could just like sign up, I will never receive discipline. I, I mean, in my carnal nature, I don't like chastisement. It never seems good at the time, but in the end, in the end, it produces fruit. It produces uh, a, a, a plentiful harvest, Hebrews 12, 11 says. And you want to know something about God's people? But you know, idolatry was hardly even a blip on the map after Babylon. It really was. They had a little about with it, but you don't really read about it uh, much after that. And so discipline really has its... Uh, place. And so that's the backdrop for Psalm 74. That's historically what was going on. This psalm, as it says in the superscription, was written by Asaph. But there is a little bit uh, of, you know, um, I, I don't want to say contention, but it, it's an interesting thing. As we go through the third book of Psalms, there's going to be a lot of psalms that are written by Asaph. But during this particular event historically, Asaph would have been long gone. And so you say, well, what's going on? How come this is written by Asaph? And we're going to run into that. We're going to talk about that as we look at some of the psalms that were written by Asaph. And, and really, when it says it's written by Asaph, there, there's a couple options. Either it was a completely different Asaph who also loved the Lord and wrote psalms, different Asaph than the Asaph of David's day, or uh, this was uh, a descendant of Asaph who just said Psalm of Asaph. I fall into this category, this clan, this group. This is what I'm going to use for my title. So uh, know that if you hear somebody say, oh, yeah, you know, the Bible talks about this whole thing. Asaph was the author and he was already dead. Uh, there's always answers um, to these so-called uh, contradictions in the scriptures. So let's dive in. Verse 1 of chapter 74. O oh God. Why have you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pastor? Remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old, the tribe of your inheritance, which you have redeemed, this Mount Zion, where you have dwelt. Lift up your feet to the perpetual desolations. The enemy has damaged everything in the sanctuary. And so Asaph here, man, he's just looking around. Everything has been destroyed. The people have been led off into captivity. Their lives are a, a smoldering heap of ash. And that's the natural conclusion that you would come to. If you're just surveying the, the, the circumstances, you'd be like, wow, 
God is definitely not with those people because they are going through it. And so Asaph looks around and says, Lord, why have you uh, abandoned us? Would you remember us? Would you uh, be with us? We are your people. Verse 2 and 3 goes into uh, remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old, your tribe of your inheritance, which you have redeemed. Uh, remember Mount Zion. Uh, lift up your feet to perpetual desolations. The enemy has damaged everything in sanctuary. So the psalmist says, Lord, remember, remember that we belong to you. Remember that we are your people of old, that we are your, uh, that you have redeemed us, uh, that we are your inheritance, or uh, literally we are your possession, Lord. Um, and when the psalmist here speaks about being redeemed, really it, it's a reference to Egypt. Right? That's where the nation was redeemed. They were in slavery. They were redeemed by the Lord. They were set free. They were given their own land. But this has a, 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 a great significance for us tonight from our New Testament perspective, uh, this idea of being redeemed. And again, the Exodus story is such uh, a vivid picture of our own salvation. Because in the scriptures, Egypt is a picture of the world. When we were saved, what did the Lord rescue us out of? The world. How was it that uh, Israel was rescued out of Egypt? They were, they were rescued, first of all, from slavery. I should say, what were they rescued from? They were rescued from slavery. What were we in bondage to before we were saved? We were slaves to sin. We were bound to sin. How was it that they were saved and set free? By the blood of the lamb, the blood of the Passover lamb. What does the Bible say about Jesus? That he is our Passover lamb. They were saved by faith when they took that blood and they applied it to the doorposts of their homes. Really, top to bottom, left to right, forming a, a cross from our perspective. They wouldn't understand what it means. I love those little details, but that's how we're saved. By faith, when we apply the blood of Christ to our lives, we're rescued, we're set free, we're given newness of life. Uh, that beautiful picture of our salvation found there in Egypt. So when the psalmist talks about being redeemed, and that'll come up in some of these psalms of Asaph, really from their perspective, historically looking to Egypt, but boy, what meaning it has for us as New Testament Christians. Looking back, I'm so glad that the Lord has done that for us, aren't you? That he's redeemed, set us free from the world. Uh, you look around at the world today and what's going on, we're not bound to that. We don't have to walk in step with what's going on in the world. And he, he, he's rescued us from the bondage that comes. You don't have to serve sin. Do you know that? You're free. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. That sin that you wrestle with, that you feel bound by, you're not bound. Stand on that in faith. Boy, your sins have been forgiven. By faith, we apply the blood of Jesus. It really is wonderful. We should be uh, rejoicing this evening in that. But the psalmist here is saying, remember, Lord, we belong to you. Remember Zion. What is Zion? Jerusalem. It's another name for Jerusalem. Uh, remember Zion. Remember Jerusalem. That was a special place. Uh, you know, King David uh, battled the Jebusites there, made it the capital city of Israel. Uh, it was there he brought the Ark of the Covenant. That's what made it special. This is, that is where God's presence resided on earth. The temple was built there. And some are saying, Lord, remember your home. Remember Zion. This is your place. Uh, don't forget, lift up your feet, Lord, which means to, to, to get up and walk around and look exactly at what the enemy has done. Uh, again, the, the psalmist here uh, really just reeling. And what had happened in Israel is that they had taken 
the presence of the Lord for granted until he wasn't there anymore, until he removed his hand. They just took God for granted. And as I read over that, there was conviction that came in my life. Because if I'm honest, oftentimes I take the Lord for granted in my own life. And I thought, Lord, I don't want to be that way. I want to be grateful every second of every day for who you are in my life. Now, he'll never leave us or forsake us. And he was still with Israel. He was just bringing chastisement into their life. But they took him for granted. And it was a bummer. Uh, verse 4 says, Your enemies roar in the midst of your meeting place. They set up their banners for signs. So after the Babylonians came in and just wiped out uh, Jerusalem, wiped out the, 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 the temple, as they're going into the temple, they're setting up their military signs and uh, banners for their, uh, you know, pagan gods with the ensigns and all the different things uh, that really represent their might, their military, their pagan gods, as they're prying the gold off the walls of the sanctuary and just ransacking it. And the psalmist is saying, Lord, they're destroying your temple. Don't you see what they're doing? They're flaunting their victory over us and over you. And that's another thing that we're going to see as we go through this psalm, is Asaph's real concern, not only for his personal comfort. Lord, I'm bummed out that my life personally is in a heap of ruins, but he's concerned deeply with the glory and the honor of God being trampled on by the enemies. And that was another thing that really struck me as I studied through this. How often am I more concerned about God's glory and honor than my own comfort? Now, so often I, I go to the Lord and, and I'm, I'm concerned about this or that or my own personal things, and there's nothing wrong with that. The Bible says that we're to bring our requests to him. We're, we're to make our requests known to him. That, that's okay. That's great. Uh, but am I equally concerned with God's honor and, and God's name and his reputation? It, it's just something about this psalm that I, I, I really appreciate and we see going on in Asaph's life. Verse 5. Uh, they seem like men who lift up axes among the thick trees, and now they break down its carved work all at once with axes and hammers. They have set fire to your sanctuary. They have defiled the dwelling place of your name to the ground. They said in their hearts, let us destroy them altogether. They have burned up all the meeting places of God in the land. And so the Babylonians, they laid waste. They were like Paul Bunyan. Hey, Paul, Paul Bunyan. He's with one felt swoop. He's taking out all the trees. They just went in there just with one felt swoop. They're just annihilating everything, chopping it down, burning it up, and uh, Asaph here is really just describing how terrible it was to look around and, again, see everything destroyed that, that belonged to them and that really belonged to the Lord as well. Um, it, was, it was not a good day. His uh, life has been really flipped upside down. Verse 9, uh, we do not see our signs. There is no longer any prophet, nor is there any among us who knows how long. Oh, God, how long will the... Uh, adversary reproach. Will the enemy blaspheme your name forever? Why do you withdraw your hand, even your right hand? Take it out of your bosom and, and destroy them. And so the psalmist is just saying, Lord, how long is this going to go on? We haven't seen you. We haven't heard from you uh, in ages. There's no prophets, Lord. How long are you going to, to let their, their enemy or our enemies just fly their banner? How long are you going to let them blaspheme your name. How long, Lord, are you going to be silent to us? Uh, no prophets had spoken. And here's the interesting thing. They hadn't heard from the Lord. 
the Lord had gone silent. He's saying, Lord, would you just speak to us? Here's the thing, though. The Lord had spoken to them over and over and over and over uh, through the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah tried to warn them repeatedly. He said to king after king, hey, the Babylonians are going to come in and wipe you guys out if you don't get rid of these idols. If you don't shape up, if you don't start to uh, remember the covenant that you made with the Lord. Remember there on Mount Ebal when you said, hear ye, hear ye, let it be so if we walk uh, against the Lord. He said, you guys are in danger of the discipline of the Lord. And you know what they did to Jeremiah? They tried to kill him. And so now when everything is a heap of smoldering ash, they say, Lord, where are you? Why don't you speak to us? And you know that same thing happens to us? And the Lord speaks to my heart. He speaks to my heart. He speaks to my heart. Son, I want you to go in this direction or I want you to ditch that thing. And it just seems to pop up everywhere. Every time I turn on the radio, boy, the sermon is speaking to me. Every time I open the word, the Lord is speaking to me through the word. Every time I talk to a friend, they're like, hey, how's it going in this area? And the Lord is just speaking to you. And then you reject and you ignore. And you know what happens? Pretty soon you turn around, you're like, man, I just feel like the Lord isn't speaking to me anymore. Lord, where are you? Where are you? You know, if you're in that place where you're like, man, I just feel like the Lord isn't speaking to me anymore. Go back. What was it that he was speaking to you last? Go back and do that. James 1 tells us that we're not to just be hearers of the word. We're not just to show up to church and listen to the pastor talk and say, ah, that was good, wasn't it? Check, I did my religious thing. We're not just supposed to be hearers, but doers. Because when we only hear the word, it says that we're just deceiving ourselves. Right? There's this weird thing that happens when we talk about doing something where we feel like we've accomplished doing something. It happens in life. It happens spiritually. Sometimes uh, we feel like, boy, just because we've heard, we've, we've done something. And the Bible is clear about that. And if, again, you feel like, man, the Lord is just silent. Go back. Walk in obedience to what he has spoken to you uh, in the past. And so Asaph hears, Lord, how long, how long are you going to allow this to go on? And maybe you've been that, in that place in your life. Lord, how long is this going to happen? How long am I going to be in this place? Well, first of all, the answer is not forever. Uh, every season has its beginning and every season has its end. And just as sure as you entered into a season of uh, hardship, discipline, sorrow, boy, the sun will rise and, and you will enter into a new season. But in Israel's particular case, there was a definitive answer to be found. How long? Again, Jeremiah had told them how long. How long were they to be in Babylon? For 70 years. They knew. But again, you got to remember, when you're in this place where everything is just crashing down all at once, uh, you're kind of not all there. You know, I mean, he, he was really in sort of this mode where he wasn't thinking clearly because uh, the whole premise is, Lord, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And where is the Lord? He's right there with them. He's not left them or forsaken them. But verse 12 is, is where uh, things uh, start to change. This is kind of the, the turning point in the psalm, verse 12. For God is my king from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your strength. You broke the heads of the sea serpent in the waters. You broke the heads of the Leviathan in pieces and gave him as food to the people inhabiting the wilderness. 
You broke open the mountain and the flood. You dried up mighty rivers. The day is yours. The night also is yours. You have prepared the light and the sun. You have set all the borders of the earth. You have made the summer and winter. Remember this, that the enemy has reproached, O Lord, and that a foolish people has blasphemed your name. And so we're seeing Asaph kind of turn a corner. He's getting to the top. He's He's getting his eyes off of his circumstances, and he's putting them on the Lord. There's this moment where it's like, Lord, where are you? How long are you going to forsake us? What's going on, Lord? How is this? How can it be? Don't let your enemies. And then all of a sudden, there's this turning point. He lifts his eyes from the smoldering ruins. He fixes them on the Lord, and he remembers the goodness of God. He remembers the past. And there's some, uh, you know, verses in here. You say, oh, what's being spoken of here? For God is king of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth, uh, divided the sea by your strength, broke the heads of the sea serpent in the waters, broke off the Leviathan into pieces, uh, all of these different things. And there's different ideas depending on who you, uh, you know, look to. Oh, what's being spoken of here? Many Bible commentaries would say, hey, this is uh, speaking of the creation of the earth. Hey, that's wonderful. It's good to look back at the creation of the earth and say, man, God created everything. Therefore, he's in charge of everything. That means he's got my situation well in hand. There are those that would say, hey, this looks actually back to the the Red Sea and also the crossing of the Jordan River. Hey, that's wonderful too. Look back to God's faithfulness, delivering you from bondage and from the world and, and, you know, walking you into this new life. Fantastic. Uh, You know, the the floods being the original flood. Uh, but there's this mention of these sea serpents. And that's where it kind of doesn't fit with the Red Sea for me, you know, just personally. Uh, but the sea serpents and, and the Leviathan. And we've talked about the Leviathan before. What, what is the Leviathan? You go back to Job 41, and there's this description of what the Leviathan is. And I love that description. It's like this. I mean, he's a fire-breathing water dragon. Really, if you ask me, that's what I say. But there are lots of people that would say, oh, you know, that's just a crocodile. You know, Job was being super poetic and artsy, and, you know, it's Hebrew poetry, so we really don't know. And there's an element to that that's true. But you go back and read Job 41 and tell me that that's a crocodile. I don't care how artsy-fartsy you're getting. That's a stretch to call that thing an alligator or a crocodile. And the thing that I don't understand about that is why we feel the need to explain away just the grandeur and the glory and the amazingness of God. It has to be, why does it have to be a crocodile? What, God could not make a fire-breathing water dragon? Of course he could. He created everything. And we get to that place to where we feel like we have to rationalize things. And then all of a sudden, you know, God didn't drown the Egyptian army in the midst of the Red Sea. That's just a portion of the Red Sea where, you know, if the wind blows just right, it's only six inches of water and If you believe that, it's an even bigger miracle because that means that the Lord drowned the most mighty army on earth in inches of water. But this need that we feel sometimes to explain away God's goodness and the miracles of the Bible, we just don't need to. God's ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. He's amazing and he's great. If he was small enough for us to understand, he wouldn't be big enough for us to worship. And so... uh, just for the record, your pastor thinks it was a fire-breathing water dragon. So uh, he goes on to talk about the, the Lord setting the borders of the earth. 
you know, originally with the waters and the, the land uh, of the nations uh, of his people as he, uh, you know, divided up the tribes. Uh, the day and the night, the summer, uh, the winter, it, basically God is in control over all things. And again, this is that turning point where Asaph says, all right, I'm taking my eyes off of my circumstances, I'm putting them on the Lord, and I'm going to remember God's past faithfulness. I'm going to remember who God is, that he's huge, that he's the creator, that, that there's nothing that's beyond his power, and he's in control. Verse 19. Uh, oh, do not deliver the life of your turtle dove to the wild beast. Do not forget the life of your poor forever. Have respect to the covenant, for the dark places of the earth are full of the haunts of cruelty. Oh, do not let the oppressed return ashamed. Let the poor and needy praise your name. Arise, O God, plead your own cause. Remember how the foolish man reproaches you daily. Do not forget the voice of your enemies. The tumult of those who rise up against you increase continually. And so Asaph, again, you know, his world's just kind of falling apart. And again, he says, Lord, just don't forget us. But notice that he, again, appeals to God's goodness and not his own. Uh, he appeals to the fact that they belong to the Lord. Lord, we are your turtle dove. Uh, we are, you know, we belong to you. Uh, turtle doves were, were helpless. So, Lord, we belong to you. We, we need your help. He speaks of uh, the covenant. That wasn't Israel's doing. Uh, there was the covenant that God made with Abraham, that, that Israel would be their people. And the important thing about that covenant, again, when the Lord came to Abraham and said, Abraham, you go in faith where I'm telling you to go, and I'm going to make your family as numerous as the stars of the sky, and the nations of the world will be blessed by them. You're going to be my people, and I'll be your God. Uh, that was something that the Lord did, not Abraham. Because remember later on when Abraham said, Lord, how do I know that you're going to do this thing? It doesn't seem like it could be a reality. I'm old. My wife is old. How is this going to come to pass? And the Lord had Abraham split the animals. We've talked about this a lot. You guys know what I'm talking about. That, that covenant that a man would make with another man. They would take the animal and split them down the middle and set them across from each other. And the men would meet in the middle and shake hands and say, if either one of us go back in our deal, let it be done to us as it was done to these animals. And God had Abraham do that. Except God never met Abraham in the middle. Abraham waited and waited and waited, and he fell asleep. And remember, the lamp passed all the way through. God took responsibility for fulfilling the entirety of that covenant, meaning that there's nothing that Israel could do to blow it. They're experiencing difficulty. They're experiencing chastisement. They're experiencing discipline. But that has nothing to do, no bearing on whether or not they belong to the Lord. See, what they're dealing with is the covenant of the land, that if you, then I that, 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 you know, if you walk in obedience, then you're going to experience this blessing. That was a special covenant for them. And now the psalmist is saying, hey, remember the covenant. Remember the covenant of Abraham. Remember that we belong to you no matter what. And, you know, maybe you're in that place tonight where you're just going through something. You're like, Lord, where are you? I need you to show up. I feel like you're distant. I feel like you're not even speaking to me anymore. Why, Lord? Where are you? Uh, the Lord has not forgotten about you. And maybe you would say, well, then why am I going through the difficulty that I'm going through? And really, there's a couple very easy and short answers. First of all, we live in a fallen world. Again, when Adam and Eve sinned, boy, with that sin came sorrow and sickness. Uh, that's just the, the, the sad reality of living in a fallen world. 
is that we are dealing with the sickness and sorrow and the hardship that comes along with that. And sometimes bad things happen out of the blue because we live in a fallen world. Other times, though, other times we are dealing with discipline from the Lord. Other times the Lord is trying to get our attention. Other times the Lord is, is trying to draw us back to himself, again, because he's more concerned with your eternal security, with your eternal state, with who you're going to be forever than your present comfort. And I, for one, am very glad about that because you know what? I am way more concerned about my present comfort and the Lord knows that. He's a good dad, and he doesn't give me what I, I want. He gives me what I need. But the good news, and, and I don't want you to get the wrong idea about this when I talk about discipline, because sometimes, uh, you know, we get this idea that God's just sitting on a cloud with a lightning bolt waiting for us to mess up so he can just zap us. But that's not the Lord. The Lord loves you. He, he's not angry with you. He wants the best for you. And it's his kindness that very often leads to repentance. In my life, that was really the thing that got to hold me more than anything was the Lord's goodness to me. But there are situations sometimes where the Lord will use discipline in our lives. And again, nobody likes it in the moment. But boy, the fruit that it brings it, it, it is good and it's necessary. And uh, the Lord, he loves us so much. Uh, he's patient. He, he's not waiting to wipe us out. Uh, again, but there comes a time when uh, discipline is necessary. The good news, if you're going through difficulty tonight, whether it's just uh, a fact of, of living in a fallen world or if it's self-inflicted, uh, the Lord is good. And we see both of those examples, by the way, in the scriptures. Right? We have the, the storm, the, the situation that Jonah was in. Jonah was a knucklehead, and that is why Jonah ended up you know, lost at sea and, and dealing with the situation that he was in. And then we see the disciples later on in the Gospels going across the Sea of Galilee. They're caught in a different storm. But they were doing exactly what they were supposed to be doing. They were just attacked by the enemy, really, is what many people believe. Because when they got to the other side of the sea, that's where they met Legion. And there's this whole thing where the storm was, you know, anyways. There's those two different scenarios. But either way, the Lord's at work, and that's the good news. And that's so gracious. I, I, I mean, I'm thankful that the Lord is at work all the time, but I'm super thankful that the Lord is at work when I have blown it, when I'm dealing with self-inflicted uh, wounds in my life. The Lord is with you. Uh, you know, he's working all things together for good. What the enemy meant for evil, and he means for good. He restores the years that the locusts have eaten. Uh, and through all the trials that you've been through, through all the trials that you will go through, one thing is constant, one thing is the same, and that is the Lord. He remains our God, just like he remained their God. He does good unto us, not because we've been good, but because he's good. He sees us through, not because we've earned anything, but because of the covenant. And what is the covenant that we enjoy? It's not the, cov the Abrahamic covenant, it's not the covenant of the land. It's not the Davidic covenant. It's the covenant of Jesus' blood. Remember in the upper room, Jesus says, remember, do this in remembrance of me. He said, take this cup. It's the cup of what? The new covenant. It's not by our own doing. We're blessed. He sees us through uh, because of the blood of, of Jesus. And so uh, remember that the Lord's at work. 
And when you get to heaven, you're not going to question the Lord and say, why did you allow this? Or how could you do this? The only thing we're going to have to say when we have his perspective is, man, Lord, thank you. Good and right and true, your judgments, O oh Lord. Uh, rest in that. So now Psalm 75 is really kind of uh, the other side of that coin. It's thanksgiving for deliverance uh, from a terrible situation. And this happens at, at a different time historically during King Hezekiah's reign. And King Hezekiah was a, a good king. You can find a story there in, in 2 Kings. But King Hezekiah was a, a good king. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He took down all the high places. Uh, but the enemy was on the move. The Assyrians. This is kind of uh, rewinding in time. We're going back in time uh, before the Babylonians sacked and took out the southern kingdom to when they were just now marching into uh, the northern territories. Um, uh, the, the Assyrians, they were on the move. They had, uh, well, they actually had sacked the, the northern territories. It was just before the south was uh, taken out. So Israel was sacked. Israel was let off into captivity, the northern ten tribes. And now the fortified cities of Judah, the southern king, they were beginning to fall. And the, the king of uh, the Assyrians, Sennacherib, uh, he sent his general, the Rabshakeh, to come and really just talk some, some serious trash. And Rabshakeh showed up. Uh, now this is after they had wiped out the northern kingdom. All the fortified cities were toast. And they kind of have Jerusalem surrounded and they just begin to talk all sorts of trash. And really, you can go back and read it, but it really, it's the Bible, but it, it really is kind of gross. It, I don't even want to say what he said here tonight, and I really won't. If you really want to know, you can go back and read it. But he threatened them with some gnarly things. Uh, so much so that the, the leaders of Jerusalem were like, hey, could you guys not speak in Hebrew? Because we don't want the people to be freaked out. And so they began to even speak louder about the things that they were going to do. And there in 2 Kings 19.22, uh, this is what the things that they were saying. Don't let Hezekiah, that was the king of uh, Judah, don't let him deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you from uh, the Assyrians' hand. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying the Lord will surely deliver us this city uh, shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, make peace with me, buy a present and come out to me, and every one of you eat from his own vine and every one from his own fig tree, and every one of you drink the water of his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive groves and honey that you may live and not die, but do not listen to Hezekiah, lest he persuade you, saying, the Lord will deliver us has any of the gods of the nations at all delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Severim and Hena and Iva? Indeed, have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of the land have delivered their countries from my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand? And he just goes on and on and on with this. Uh, there's a whole other section that I won't read that you can check out if you're interested in that. But Hezekiah was greatly troubled, the king of Israel. But I love what Hezekiah did. If you're familiar with the story, you know. He, he didn't really freak out forever. He was like, oh man, this is not good. But he didn't stay there. He didn't internalize it. You guys remember what he did? He took the, the letter. The, the king of Assyria later wrote him a letter. And he took that letter into the sanctuary and he spread it out before the Lord. And he just gave it to the Lord. And then he got a, a message from Isaiah saying, listen, the Lord's got you. Don't even worry about it. 
He, he's going to defeat the Assyrians. And sure enough, the Lord defeated the Assyrians, just like uh, uh, Isaiah prophesied. And 185,000 Assyrian soldiers were wiped out overnight. So when uh, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, they woke up, they looked out the window, and there was just carnage. The Lord had just delivered him. And, and so that really is what's going on in Psalm 75. Whereas Psalm 74, they were in the midst of, Lord, where are you? Psalm 75, ah, Lord, you're right here bringing deliverance to us. It's by your hand that we experience stability. It's by your hand that we experience deliverance. And so that's what's going on in Psalm 75, verse 1. Uh, we give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your wondrous works uh, declare that your name is near. So the psalmist opens up with this declaration uh, of thanksgiving, uh, of really just putting his eyes on the Lord and what the Lord has done. And really, that is what worship is all about, isn't it? About being thankful, having that thankful heart to the Lord. Lord, you've done so much. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for rescuing us. So many of the things that we say, so many of the things that we sing during worship have to do with having that grace full heart, and just rejoicing in what the Lord had done. Uh, and, and really, he was just recognizing that it was by God's strength that the Assyrians were wiped out, and, and not by his own, that the Lord had intervened uh, and saved them. And really, the Lord had intervened in Israel's history so many times, over and over and over again. Uh, we see the Lord uh, intervening from the flood to Egypt, to the wilderness, to Judges, to, to Canaan. Uh, the psalmist talks about the nearness of the Lord. Uh, he recognizes that the Lord would never forsake his people. And that's so good for us to remember. And we should rejoice in that fact, that the Lord is with us. And the same is true for us to an even greater degree, because we have the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the, the one who leads us and guides us. It really is a, a cool thing. And so the Lord is the one who brings victory uh, to our lives, just like he was the one who brought victory to their lives. And it really is important that we have uh, just an attitude of gratitude. We talked about this a little bit uh, on Sunday, about the danger of envy and taking our eyes off the Lord and looking at what other people have around us and how that's a surefire way to be ungrateful and, and how that's the opposite attitude that the Lord would have us to have. Uh, you know, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says that it's God's will for us to be thankful in all circumstances, in all things. Uh, that's his will for us in Christ Jesus, that we would walk in thankfulness. And here's the thing. When we do, what I've noticed in my life, and I say, Lord, I, I just, I'm thankful in all circumstances. There is a lightness, there's a freedom, there's a stability that comes along with that. And so uh, the psalmist here is just saying, man, Lord, we thank you. Thank you so much. Because the opposite of thankfulness, again, is ingratitude. And we see that played out in the Old Testament with his kids, with the nation of Israel. With his chosen people. Remember when they were in the wilderness? Every morning they woke up. That's my, you know, guys know the morning song, like it's good morning. Uh, every morning and they would wake up. Man, there would be fresh manna everywhere. They were completely taken care of. But remember what they did? They started griping and grumping and we don't like manna and we're sick of manna and Manna meatloaf and manna burgers and manna enchiladas. And we're done with manna. We want something else. It was so good back in Egypt with the leeks and the onions. It wasn't good in Egypt. It was terrible in Egypt. But the Lord said, all right, you guys want some meat? You guys can have some meat. And the quail came in. And they ate so much, it made them sick. Disgustingly sick. 
And that's what ingratitude is really in the sight of the Lord. It's just gross. It's disgusting. Man, be, be grateful. All of our praise should start uh, with, with gratitude. And that's what the psalmist uh, does here in, in Psalm 75, verse 2. When I, I chose the proper time, I will judge uprightly. The earth and all its inhabitants are dissolved. I set up its pillars firmly. I said to the boastful, do not deal boastfully. And to the wicked, do not lift up the horn. Do not lift up your horn on high. Do not speak with a, a stiff neck. And so the psalmists here, uh, you know, in, in verse 2, he says, well, when I chose the proper time, I will judge uprightly. You know, in the psalm before, we saw the, the psalmist saying, how long, Lord? How long? When? But here, you know, this psalmist says, uh, I, I'm going to trust you. Asaph, in this psalm, says, listen, I, I know, Lord, that you have an appointed time for everything, that judgment is coming because you sit on the throne. And that's so important for us to remember, no matter what stage of life we're in, that God's timing is always perfect. Sometimes we're going along and everything is fantastic, and we say, oh, God's timing is perfect. But then the car breaks down, uh, and then the kids start going AWOL and crazy, and, and then the bills are due and there's no money to pay them, and we say, Lord, where are you at? Remember, his timing is perfect in all of those things also. He's never late. He hasn't forgotten. He hasn't lost sight. God is never in heaven wringing his hand saying, well, I wonder how this is going to work out. It's funny. We were setting up before church, and, uh, you know, I was just chatting with Gary Horn, you know, we're, we're lifting stuff and moving stuff and just getting things prepared, and I was kind of sharing with him that the city, they have a, 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 a date now. They've given us a date that they're going to have the HVAC system done next door. I thought, oh, man, that's great. That's in February. And I thought, oh, man. And I was telling Gary about that, and you like, and I was a little bit discouraged. I was a little bit bummed. And Gary's like, you know what, though? Didn't catch God off guard. He knew the whole time. I was like, oh, man, I needed that encouragement. It's a reminder. It's what I'm teaching on tonight, and I needed to be reminded. God's timing, it really is always perfect. Never forget that when you're going through it. Uh, verses uh, uh, 4 and 5, uh, there, there's this wicked uh, that is being spoken of, and it's a warning to them. Uh, be careful. Those who are rebellious, those who are wicked, uh, don't think too highly of yourself. Don't be overconfident uh, because it's not by your strength. You're, you're really nobody compared to the Lord. He holds life in the palm of his hand. And, and there's this warning to not lift up your horn. And, and that's speaking of an animal's horn. Like, uh, you know, they would do lots of plowing. Oxes would lift up their heads stubbornly to try to avoid going into uh, the yoke. And so don't be stubborn. Don't be stiff-necked. There's this warning to, to not uh, reject the Lord. Verse 6. For exaltation comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red, it is fully mixed, and he pours it out. Surely its dregs shall all the wicked of the earth drain and drink down. And so... Uh, the psalmist talks about the Lord is the one who, uh, you know, he's the judge. He puts one up. He, he, he puts another down. He exalts some. Uh, that's, that's the Lord's business. Uh, what happens in an individual's life, it, it, it's up to the Lord. It has nothing to do with me. The Lord sees the whole story. The Lord looks upon the heart. The Lord knows the end of each one of us. And that's important for us to remember because... Sometimes, uh, you know, we can have a tendency of, of making judgments. 
right? Not that we're to never make judgment. We're to be fruit inspectors. The Bible is clear about that. But we, we make these judgments about people uh, according to, you know, what their life looks on the outside. And you think about that for uh, a second and kind of apply that to biblical characters that we know about. Think about if we kind of looked at David's life from the outside. We'd be like, whoop, the Lord's putting him down for sure. That dude, I don't know if he's going to make it. Adulterer, murderer, liar, uh, definitely not. Uh, you think about uh, Nicodemus. Nicodemus was, uh, you know, he was part of the camp that was against Jesus. But Nicodemus ended up being one of the men who uh, secured the body of Jesus and gave him uh, the burial there in the rich man's tomb. Mary Magdalene, very uh, immoral woman, uh, but she was one who was broken over her sin and loved the Lord. Uh, Zacchaeus, again, he was a tax collector. Uh, you look at all these people from the outside and you say, man, they are toast. But the Lord knew their heart. Then you look at people like the Pharisees and you say, oh, yeah, all spit shine and looking good. Those religious guys are getting in for sure. But they were the ones who were, had black hearts who, who, who were wrong. And the reason that I kind of camp out on that for a minute is that it, it really frees us up. Because it's not up to us to judge or even correct people. Sometimes we feel the need to correct people or to, to say, hey, you know, this area in your life and you need to, that's not our responsibility. The Lord is the one who shepherds people. He's the one who raises people up. Uh, you know, if you have friends, if you have a relationship in somebody's life, man, that's a great place to exercise that, brother to brother. But sometimes we go beyond that and we get a little bit nosy and we get a little bit Bible thumpy. And, and be careful that you don't make yourself into the fourth person of the Trinity. You know, oh, I'm going to convince that person that they're wrong. And uh, just, the Lord has freed us up. We're not the ones who judge. We don't have to convince anybody. I have never once argued a single person into the kingdom of heaven. Not a single one. And let me tell you what, I've tried. I have. Uh, but the Lord, he does that work. We're freed up just to love people. Uh, this cup of red, verse 8. This is my favorite verse in this whole entire psalm. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red. It is fully mixed, and he pours it out. Surely its dregs shall the, all the wicked of the earth drain and drink down. What's being spoken of here? What is this, this cup? Uh, this cup really speaks about the cup of wrath. And it's uh, speaking to the fact that the Lord is the judge ultimately. And when the time is right, he will judge all of the earth. He's going to, to set everything right. That is his business. That's what he's going to do. Someday, judgment will be forced down the throat of every single person who ever came against God. And that's a scary situation. Not a single person will escape. And they will drink that wrath of God until uh, the last drop is gone. And you say, man, that sounds scary. That sounds terrible. I don't want to be forced to drink the wrath of God. It is scary, and you don't want to be forced to drink the wrath of God. The good news is you don't have to because Jesus already drank that cup for us. You remember there in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before Jesus was crucified? He was there praying just fervently as great drops of blood, and he cried out to the Father and said, if there's any other way, what? Let this cup Pass from me. But not my will, thy will be done. So let this cup of judgment, that, that's what Jesus was speaking about. The wrath of God, this wrath that the psalmist is being poured out. If there's any other way, let it pass from me. But there was no other way. And so Jesus drank that cup in full down to the last drop. He drank 
uh, of the wrath that we might enjoy life and freedom. Jesus spoke of another cup earlier that night when he was having uh, the Last Supper with his disciples there in the upper room. And they were sharing that Passover meal. And he took the cup. He said, take this cup. Do these things in remembrance of me. And he held up the cup. And he said, this is the cup again of the New Testament. And it's so important that we remember. Man, we remember often. We're not taking communion tonight. We, we should have. That would have been a great thing for us to do. But, man, the cup, when we take communion, it is so important that we remember what Jesus has done for us. And as a result, who we are, that we don't have to face judgment if we've trusted in the Lord because of the cup, because of what the wine represents, because my sins have been erased by the blood of Jesus. Man, that is, is such good news. And when I remember that reality, boy, those areas of my life that are unstable and they're shaky, man, they just seem to be shored up. They just seem to come in focus. And in these last two verses tonight, uh, verse 9 and 10, but I will declare forever, I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will also cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be exalted. As, you know, he reviews God's goodness, deliverance. Uh, you know, the Assyrians, they were mowed down uh, like nothing by one angel. Lord, he delivered them. Uh, they were the meanest, toughest uh, military machine in, in their day. But God's people, they were delivered when they put their trust in him. And their surety, their stability, their peace and their joy came from putting their trust in here. And that's why there was rejoicing in their hearts. And so, man, put your trust in the Lord. E even tonight, no matter what you're going through, no matter how difficult things are, remember that the Lord is on the throne. Remember that he hasn't gone anywhere. He hasn't left you. He hasn't forsaken you. His timing is perfect. He's got a plan. He's working things out. He really is. And even in the midst of those difficulties, man, you can rejoice. Knowing the end game, knowing what's going on, because he drank the cup of wrath, we get the cup of joy. Man, rejoice in that tonight. Put your trust in the Lord. Uh, may your life be filled with praise. Even as the psalmist, he ends with that. Man, I'm just going to praise the Lord for his goodness. Man, difficulties come. We talk about it often. The, the, the Psalms are full of these. But what I love about the Psalms is where the psalmist lands. That when we take our eyes off of our problems, put them on the Lord, we remember who he is and what he's done. And somehow the Lord just brings that peace. He brings that stability. He brings that surety. Uh, he restores that trust and renews my faith. And I pray that for us tonight, that as you're going through things, that you would remember the truths that we talked about tonight, that the Lord has got you and that you would lean into him and not on your own understanding. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this teaching of God's Word presented by Siskiyou Christian Fellowship. We pray it's blessed you and given you a greater understanding of the Bible. To learn more about us, visit siskiyouchristianfellowship.com.